Christian worldview, part five. We've been looking at what that means to look at uh, the world, uh, the way we look at things every day <clears throat> in a Christian way, really looking at a biblical worldview uh, and thinking like Jesus is kind of the way we've defined that. Uh, last week we went through, uh, and this comes from Barna's book, Thinking Like Jesus, aptly named, seven questions that we need to look at and then hopefully with that, seven answers to the questions. And the first one is kind of an interesting question. Uh, does God exist? Uh, I could have made this quite short and just said yes, and then we could go out and have cookies, because there are cookies out there, I've noticed. Uh, took a lot of, uh, it's the biblical word, forbearance, to keep the little thing on top of them and not get it. But afterwards, if you want to have cookies... With the graduates out there, they're out there. I, I would say uh, that we have a plethora of cookies out there, at least, so you can have all you want. <clears throat> but does God exist? Um, you know, the Bible doesn't give an argument for Yahweh's existence. It just assumes that he does, and that makes sense. Uh, obviously, <clears throat> as we've said before, if uh, someone authors a book, they usually don't, in the first part of the book, argue for their existence. If you're reading the book, you kind of assume they exist. Uh, so that's there. Uh, and we can't fully prove it to someone else necessarily. Uh, we have, there are good proofs. We'll look at some of them. Because he's, a, as we talked with the kids, he's spirit. He's an infinite, timeless being. We are not, <clears throat> even always, our conception of God is going to be limited to some extent because we're not him. But it certainly can be sufficient, and that's what we'll talk about. And why does this matter? Um, well, you, you look at the way America is uh, changing somewhat in belief systems. Uh, I'm not one to look at the glass half empty. <clears throat> in fact, this one's got three quarters in it right now. Um, you don't have to be pessimistic about this stuff. You can. Uh, I've heard people, well, it's just getting worse and worse. And it's like, you know, I know it's kind of annoying to say this, but what are you doing about it? Are you getting worse and worse? Because, you, you know, there, we can't always change the culture, although that is part of what we're trying to do. But we better darn well make sure we don't let the culture change us. And that's one of the things that this sermon series is for and just the whole idea, you know, for you graduates. I mean, think about it. You're going to go into places, I think everybody there is going to some sort of second, you know, graduate level or undergrad level uh, academia, these numbers that we're going to look at are a lot uh, different in academia. You know, this one thing coming out of, of your faith, out of high school, knowing Jesus, it's another thing to be able to defend him. And that's always been our hope with our youth group, even with our sermons, with our Bible studies. Can we make a good case for Jesus with whoever we talk to? And when we look at these statistics, you might I think you'll start to see why just that first question, does God exist? That's not hard for us. You know, we come here and we worship God. We know he exists for all kinds of reasons, but a lot of people don't think he does. And that's changing. I think this was from 2019, so right before the, uh, you know, the, the pandemic hit, <clears throat> atheist people who say there is no God, and, and we'll put it on a, on a survey, is up to around 5%, a little bit more in America. That was only 2% in 2006. Uh, so that's getting more prevalent. Agnostics, uh, 
Gnosis is, a, is the Greek word for knowledge. So people just don't know, and the ones I've met probably don't care that God, whether God exists. Another 5%. And that was about 3% in 2006. So the good news, and I think this is good news, we have about 90% of Americans that believe that God exists. Um, the problem, I think, for even within Christianity is what does that God look like? And that's, that'll be a question next week, and we'll go on with those. But just some, because I'm a stat geek, and I've got the mic and the cooker, um, a little information, also a little more depth here. This is from 06 to 19, so like a 13-year difference. Same study. American adults that identify as Christian was 78% in 06. It's 65% now, so it's gone down quite a bit. And the nuns, notice there's no you in there. Uh, I have heard that being a nun is habit forming, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a dad joke there. <laughs> Good one, though. Good one. Um, 16, these are people who have no religious affiliation. So they just, you know, they're not going to check Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, nothing. They're going to put just, I don't have any, any affiliation. 16%. Is now up to 26%. Because remember that, that 90%, it looks cool, but that's just somebody who says they think a God might exist. Uh, that's yeah, it's good. But the last two are sobering to some extent too. Prote people who say they're Protestant Christians, which I didn't know if you knew that, but if you go to this church, you would be one of them. Um, Protestant is just pretty much non Catholic and non Orthodox. <coughs> um, 51% has gone down to 43%. And this one is the first time this has happened in any 15 to 13 year study. The Roman Catholic faith is now going down quite quickly. 24% down to 20%. So this is where we are. We're, we're, this is the, the, the culture we're in. And you remember, you know, Paul says, I'm all things to all people so that some might believe. We have to, you have to be able to tell people people and talk to people and ask questions of people that are relevant to them. And sometimes that first question is about God's existence. Can you make a good case? I was going to say argument, but people think we're arguing. We're not arguing. We're, argument's just another word for discussing. Well, so where do we get our information about God? You know, for us, it's, there's only really four places you can get information about any God, but Yahweh, the Bible is our number one. Reason you have to think. You can read the Bible, but if you don't think when you read it, you won't. And you've all done that, right? I've heard it. I know it's, it sounds really odd, but I've, people even fall asleep reading the Bible. I've done that before. I mean, nobody else has done that. <laughs> now, don't fall asleep during worship. That would be, I don't know if you want to do that. But, uh, but it's, you got to have reason. You got to think it through. You got to try to understand it. God is the author of this reason. Tradition. Doesn't have to be bad. Some traditions aren't good, but do they line up with the Bible? And sometimes, you know, we have traditions that, uh, that, that, that we follow also. And then experience, people experiencing God, and we're going to look at some of those. But, and that's important, but how does God, how does Yahweh reveal himself to us? Well, there's two main categories, and this is easy to remember, and it's, it's good to, to have this in your quiver of apologetic arrows. Apologetics is something that's becoming more prevalent uh, in a lot of churches that are trying to make a difference for Christ because you've got to be able to defend the faith. You've got, again, it's one thing to say you believe, it's another thing to be able to tell people why you believe. 
And the only way you're going to do that, folks, is hard work. I'm sorry. Uh, nothing worthwhile is going to come easy. You guys are, you know, some of you are going to school. I mean, you're not just going to walk into school and they say, well, here's your diploma. You showed up. That's kind of the way Christians act. Huh? We show up. We act like, well, wow, you want a sticker? We can give you a sticker. I've been, I got a lot of stickers I'm supposed to be giving to people. Probably should buy some stickers, I guess. But uh, I, I think, you know, again, and showing up is good. You're obviously not going to diploma if you don't show up. Uh, and worship is different than college, I realize that. But if that's all we do, you're not going to be able to defend it. I always think about this when I do Bible studies or even in here. If someone today asked you a question about your faith, would you be able to answer it without just looking at them with a puzzled look? And think what doesn't work. How does this work for you? If somebody says, well, that's what mama told me. Might work for Bobby Boucher, but it's not going to work for you. You can Google that if you don't know who that is. You know, it, 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 it's good to have parents teach their children, but eventually this is the difference when you get out on your own. You, now you've got to do it yourself. Because 90% of the I'd say probably 95% of the time, when you get off on your own, you, you, you seniors, they're probably not going to come up to you and give you, could you please give me the cosmological argument for God? If somebody asks you that, I might just think, well, I'm not hanging out with that guy anymore. But maybe not. Maybe that'd be good. It's going to be moral. It's going to be moral. Your morals are going to be tested. Because there's, do you have a foundation? This is the thing that gets you. You think it's always moral, always questioning God's the way it started, right? Did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from the tree? of the knowledge of good and evil. Did he really say that? Well, clearly he said that. Eve knew that. Adam knew that. But they disobeyed anyway. <clears throat> um, so how does God reveal himself to us? This is good to know for all of us. It's just two main categories. First is general revelation. And we see this in the Bible itself. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. This psalm goes on to talk about how perfect the law and the instructions and the scripture of the Lord is. But it starts out with this, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, how do they do that? I mean, we're, I don't think this is, this is a psalm. It's supposed to be, you know, it's not that the heavens are crying out with, with real speech. But it's the idea that when, when you look at creation, whether through the universal through a telescope to look at the, the heavens in that way, or through a microscope to see the increases of how cell structure works and all that, that's declaring the handiwork of God. That's what the Bible says. And you see this in Romans 1, where Paul is talking about those who are unrighteous and are not following God and are making all these uh, uh, excuses. And for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So the Bible teaches that general revelation should, is enough for each person created in the image of God to know there is a God. It's not all we get, but it's a start. And we're seeing that. You've got uh, Discovery Institute folks, uh, ID folks, you know, uh, intelligent design, all this type of ideas that, you know, there's design here, there's something. We'll look at a few of those arguments quickly. This is a way to start with people. And a lot of people 
come to faith. I've known people who've come to faith because somebody had done enough work to give them a little bit of a case of why they should believe in God from just looking at the moon. Are you ready? If that's what it takes. It's like, well, I don't need that. Well, it's not about you. It's about who you come in contact with. Yes, you want to know it for yourself. But if that's it, do you want a doctor to just have the information or do you want them to actually do something to help you? And that's kind of what we do. It's like, that's why they call it practicing. It's not like they're, that's the game, right? Well, a lot of times we never get into the game. Maybe because we're not ready. But this is general revelation. And it's shown by reason. And there's a lot of good things. We, we took a, a lot of the kids. This was last summer in the middle of our COVID stuff. We had a, a, a study. William Lane Craig did. It was a, on logical reasons why God exists. The, these are the three main arguments. And they're great. They're not hard. The cosmological argument, you know. If I was one of those guys that said, let's all say cosmology, this is where I do it, but I'm not doing that because that bugs me. It's like I figure you can say it, right? Um, cosmos is just what we were talking about. The, it's, the, it's the word that's awfully translated universe or world in the Bible. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Now, we know that, right? I mean, if if a person going to college said, you know, I'd really like to have a car. And then they woke up one morning and there was a car in the driveway. Boy, I'm setting the bar high for you parents. I'm sorry about that. A beaten down old junker that hardly, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> move the bar down a little bit. But would you say that just came out of thin air? Well, we know it was made. And it's the same thing with the universe. Everything that has that begins to exist has a cause. And, and if people say, well, what about God? Well, he didn't begin to exist. He's always existed. So this fits really well. It's a cosmological argument. Um, the teleological argument, telos just means purpose. It's, it's cool. You can start real smart among your friends to say words like cosmological and teleological. Like, oh, this guy is smart. But do you know what it means? What, what, you know, creation, the universe is too ordered and fine-tuned to come about by random chance. You, you've got, the more you study cell structure, the more you study the way even uh, the, the most uh, primitive single-celled organisms and the, the depth of machines that are in there, there's no logical reason why you would think this has happened by chance. So that's, there's a purpose to it, design, you know, like anything else. The moral argument. Objecting morals must have a moral lawgiver. And this makes sense. There's only two ways to get people to follow morality. Refer to a moral lawgiver or beat them up. It's either power or law. That's the only two things you have. You, ever, you, ever, you, know, you may have seen some movies like this or some sitcoms where there's a guy who's kind of doing some things he shouldn't. Big guy, usually. And they can't get him to stop. And then they call his mother. And the mother might be five foot nothing and 95 pounds. But for some reason, the six foot six, ripped 275 pound guy with 0% body fat does what she says. Is it because she can beat him up? No. It's because she, he respects her. It's because he, he has a relationship with her and he knows that he wants to please her. 
That's the same with, with God. You know, you think about it. I remember asking, and I, I thought the principal gave just a wonderful, I won't give his name, but uh, you could probably figure it out, but they have that Purple Hands Pledge down at 20th Street Elementary. The Purple Hand, you know what the Purple Hands Pledge is? You're not going to beat people up, I guess. <laughs> You're not going to hit people and touch people and, and bully people and all those kinds of things. I, when we moved into town, it's like, well, how do you enforce that? There's only one of two ways, right? Either you appear, appeal to their moral conscience that this is what we do in our, as a respectful image bearer, so you're really appealing to God whether you mention his name or not, or you say the teachers are bigger. It's really only two choices you got, right? And again, you think about the moral argument. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense because all more, this is objective morals. They're the same for you as they are for me and everybody else. This is not subjective morals that we just get with society. I mean, the Nazi regime showed us that society's morals can go south. And we have to be careful that in our own society is messing a lot of that stuff up because, again, it's not based on a moral lawgiver. Another one, this is just kind of an aside, but I remember to get caught, the guy, they were, we were talking about, this is when our kids were still in school, they were talking about a, a course, and I was saying, well, so it was morals and it was a couple other things. I said, so are you given the, the theistic view of this? Oh, well, we don't get into theism and all that stuff. Oh, I said, well, it's atheistic. Well, no, 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 it's not atheistic. Well, there's anything in the middle. That's all that's left. Either there's theism or atheism. And I think the guy understood that it's like, if you take God out, then you have atheism, right? By definition. So we have to think that, you know, our, our world is starting to think, well, we can just take God out. Well, if you take God out, you have atheism. And then you start wondering why kids don't have a telos. They don't have a purpose. Well, because they started as goop, they'll end as goop. There is no real purpose. You just got to make it up as you go. But if you believe in God, now we have a purpose. Now we have a real purpose because it's not even given to us by ourselves. It's given to us by God. And I'll tell you what it is at the end of the sermon because it's not hard. Didn't you know, if you didn't know what your purpose in life was, you're going to find out before you leave. Make that cookie taste that much better. So that's general revelation. Nobody's really saved by general revelation, right? You know there's a God. But okay, whoopee, what God? Now we get to special revelation. What is special revelation? Well, that's when God reveals himself, kind of like we talked with the kids. Historical events. The Exodus was special revelation. As far as we know, that's the only time that a big sea kind of parted. That's, that's, not, that's a heck of a trick. Nobody's repeated that. Even God hasn't done that again. That's why it's the quintessential event, event for Judaism and really was up till Jesus. Jesus' birth was a historical event. We celebrate that every Christmas. Christmas, that's why we call it that. Jesus' resurrection, it's the key to why we believe because he said he was going to raise again. Was it miraculous? Both of those were miraculous. In fact, the miracles themselves are historical events. They're not, it's not in there as a story that Jesus, well, there was a guy that was sick and Jesus made him feel better and now they don't feel as sick. That's not the way the historical record says, does it? You've got leprosy. Now you don't. You're blind. Now you can see. Heck, you're dead. Now you're alive. This is pretty good stuff. These are all supernatural. These are historical events and we need to treat them as such because that's the way they're revealed to us. You can not, people can believe them if they want. That's up to them. But don't tell me it's just a metaphor. 
And then special words. You get direct words. You get, when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called him out of a bush. Moses, Moses. And notice what Moses doesn't do. What was that? Somebody saying something? Every time that God calls in the Bible, nobody has any trouble understanding what he said. They might not like it, because Moses, if you keep going on in Exodus 3, he belly aches for about 12, 14 verses. You're sending me, you realize what happened in, in Egypt? Didn't work out well at the end. You really want me to go back there? Can't you get Got to be somebody else better than me. But no, here I am, you know. He knows he's in touch. So you get those direct, and you, you get those. They're few and far between, but they're there. Dreams. We've got a few times we had that. A pharaoh even had dreams that, uh, that Joseph was able to interpret. But Daniel, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So he revealed. And again, Daniel was not confused. It's like he got the dream right. He understood what was going on. Very, very good revelation. Very special revelation. And the prophets. You get this in pretty much every prophetic book, the word of the Lord came to. We never really get told how that works. It'd be a good discussion, wouldn't it, trying to, how did that work? I mean, he's just sitting there watching the game and boom. I mean, it, it, but again, always clear, precise information. They know it. They might not like it, but they know it. And then eventually, personally, we, we talked about this in, 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 long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And that's really, if you don't get anything out of this sermon other than that, if you want to know what Yahweh's like, let Jesus take you by the hand and show you. You're going to have to do a little reading, but it'll be the best book you've ever read. And that's what it comes down to, God's written word. This is his special revelation that we focus on now. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I think that's where we've fallen down in Christianity in the last couple of centuries. We can teach if people show up. We can reprove. In fact, churches are usually pretty good at that. I mean, I can... We always want to tell you how you're doing wrong, right? That's what a lot of people think. Um, correction. Again, these are words that that's what it does. It keeps us on the path. But training. You know, you don't, training means you can use it. It means I can tell people about I can. I know the Bible well enough. I can make a case for God. And I know in my heart it's right because this makes all the reasonable sense and because of the Spirit is. But this is the special revelation that we focus on now because Jesus has come. The prophet's are there and done. The apostles have written what they're supposed to write. So now that the Son of God has come and His new covenant with His followers has been revealed and established, the foundational special revelation is God's written Word. This is the foundation. This is in Ephesians 2. Think about the word foundation. I remember coming up here and right over in that corner, I remember it was, it was like 400 below zero that day I came up here. And I know it's hard to believe, but the wind was blowing. I came up here when we had the foundation poured to see my office in, in the corner. Yes, yeah, quite self-centered, I agree. But that was like, <laughs> and I, I just remember the foundation was here. You know, without that, it, and you, after we got done with the foundation, I don't know if you knew it, we didn't pour another one. We just did one foundation. That's all you're supposed to have. There's play, people out there tell you, well, we need more prophets. We need more. No, you don't. Need more apostles. Nope, don't need them. 
And this verse tells us that, and just reason would tell you that. The household of God, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So if you're going to have to have prophets, and if you're going to make a case that we need apostles and prophets, now I guess we need a new Jesus too. I don't think that's a good idea. We don't need another foundation. No more apostles or prophets are necessary. We have the New Testament. We have what we need. If anybody tells you that, ask them one question, and you can always get some good discussion going by asking questions. What is it about, what is lacking in the New Testament that you need to know about God for your salvation and your service to Him and following Him? What's lacking in there? Because if you need more words from the Lord, then this obviously isn't enough. And most people don't know it well enough to even give a lucid answer. But I'll give you my answer. There isn't anything lacking in it. It's not a problem with the information. It's a problem we just don't know it. That's why we get in trouble. And we'll talk about that in the next six questions. God may still use direct rain. We're not saying that God can't use dreams. God can't use whatever. God can use whatever he wants. Maybe another donkey will talk. I don't know. But that wasn't that often. You know how many donkey talkers we have in the one, as far as I know? Nothing needs to be added to what we already have. You notice every cult, every place that it's usually on a personality and more revelation. That's true of Mormonism. That's true of Jehovah Witnessism. That's true of Islam. Everybody's adding to the word. We need more. We need more. Jesus isn't sufficient. You know, we've always said that here. It's part of our statement of faith. Jesus is, is sufficient for your salvation and your service. You don't need anything else. And the Bible keeps telling us that. So we're guided by his word and his spirit. And you see how he set that up. We had this when we went through the Gospel of John. This is toward the end of the upper room discourse where Jesus is talking to the yous, the plural, apostles. Foundational. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. One way you could read that, he's going to give, he's going to reveal to you everything that people need to know about their life. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So these are the, this is a verse that kind of says, I'm going to make sure you guys get this right. And when you go through the books, they're either written by an apostle or an associate of an apostle. This is kind of what, that's why we believe they're inerrant, because when we read them, they look inerrant, but even more importantly, Jesus made sure they were exactly what we need. So what do we do with it? Well, here's a nice 3.16 for you. Most people know John 3.16. Here's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We did that last part. We do that pretty good, right? And I think we can do, we need to do much better with that first part. You know, the statistics show that for every person that worships on a regular basis, less than 10% study the Bible on a regular basis. If you forget the first part, the second part really won't matter in the long run. You don't have to show your hands, but those of you who study the Bible regularly, does that help your worship or hinder it? 
you know, worship is a sensory response to God. Was well, your response going to be better or worse if you know him better? And it's an ongoing relationship. And this is, does this look like a suggestion? This is a commandment. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is a very important thing. And it's one of the reasons that a lot of people don't think like Jesus because they don't have the first clue what he said. I mean, remember when Jesus says the Lord helps those who helps themselves? Jesus didn't say that. Just because some guy with a mic says he said it doesn't mean he said it. You get to check those things. <laughs> you know, but that's out there, isn't it? You know? Those who help themselves are probably in that 10% category that we talked about in the first part. So, if you accept the existence of the biblical God, which I'm hoping you all do, but again, don't always think, well, this, I don't know what this does for me. Again, what's it going to do for your coworker, for the person you meet at college, or the person you meet at high school, for the person you meet in grade school, for the person across the lawn that lives next to you? Maybe they don't think God exists, or maybe they don't care. Do you have, can you talk to them about it? Are you going to be able to give a good case for the hope that you have? Because if you just go over and say, well, Jesus came to me and told me that I should follow him, and they're going to say, well, what does that do for me? Anybody can say that. A Hindu can say that. A Buddhist can say that. A Mormon can say that. A Muslim can say that. If it's just based on your experience. Do you have an objective reason why you think this is true? And that's where we go back to the special revelation. So, how does this knowledge affect your decisions? It should. Then he is God and you are not. I can't remember which theologian this was, but it's either C.S. Lewis or Chesterton. They said, God created us in his image, and we've been repaying the favor ever since. A lot of times, people create God in their image. Well, God, you know, what was that song that was back in the, it wasn't even a good song, but uh, what if God were one of us? Just a slob on the bus or something like that. Schmuck, I don't know what the word was. He's not. He's not one of us. That's a heretical song. I mean, sing it if you want. But that's this is not what the special revelation says. I'm not you. And thank God he's not us. Because most of us are annoying, aren't we, sometimes? I know you're annoyed now with the sermon, but I mean, just in general. This is special annoyance <laughs> instead of general annoyance. Um, but, but you think about it. If we try to bring, God came down to us, but he's not us. It's one of the biggest early heresies in the early church was making Jesus just one of us. We have a pseudo-Christian cult that teaches that. They come to your door quite frequently. Anybody want to guess? The Jehovah Witnesses do not believe God. God or Jesus, Jesus is one of us. He's a good guy, but he's just one of us. So if he is God and you are not, you are not in control of your life except where God entrusts you with control. I remember talking, this was in, in Austin, I remember talking to a guy, who, uh, the sermon that the pastor had given and was about surrendering your life to Christ. And this guy kind of came, we kind of do the same thing we do here, you know, have a place to come and talk. And I just happened to be one of those working that night. And he said, I just don't like the word surrender. 
And I said, I don't think you should surrender, but this is, you're not God. This is something different. You're going to have to get past that. <laughs> God says to surrender, whether you like it or not, it's pretty much irrelevant, right? That's what we do. We surrender our life to Him, you know? Yeah, in other ways, we don't like that. Nobody likes to wave, wave, the, wave, wave the white flag, but yes, it's, it's what we do. God entrusts us with some control. You're welcome to ask God where to eat today, and He might tell you. Or he might say, well, uh, I think you can figure it out on your own. Don't have to be a rocket mechanic to figure out where to eat. I gave you wisdom. Figure it out on your own. We can make those decisions. And there's a lot of decisions we can make, and God allows us to make them. But again, when it comes to our purpose and who we are, well, that's different. God's go the, the Creator is going to do that. Number two, you should expect that there will eventually be consequences for your actions, good and bad. His rules matter. This would probably be a good time to reiterate the gospel again. That's what Jesus came for, so you don't have to get punished for your bad actions. That's what grace is all about. Those who do not have their sins covered, when the books get open, Revelation 20, if your, book is, if your name is not in the book of life, meaning you follow Jesus, you get judged by your deeds, and it's not going to work out. But there will be consequences for your actions. To quote, I can't, Marcus Aurelius, Didymus, Semenor, whatever, that, you know, gladiator. He said a lot better than I just did. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Anybody seen that movie? If you haven't, I don't know what's wrong with you. But no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's pretty gory, but, but it's a really good guy movie anyway. Um, the, uh, if you're, this is a, a story about a, a gladiator, one of the probably second-hand man to the, to the Caesar. And he, you know, Caesar gets deposed and all this stuff, and he ends up being a gladiator. And he ends up, the, 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 the bad emperor finally realizes that, uh-oh, this is, this is the leader of the legions. And he has this great speech, but he said, and I will get my revenge in this life or the next. You know, and that's not the way we would put it. That's not the way we should. But the Bible clearly says that every act will be judged. Every thought. Unless you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's the gospel, folks. That's why God's holiness is so important, and we'll get into that later. If you don't know God's holiness, His love, His mercy, His grace will not make any sense to you. Think about that. If you, if you talk to somebody about your faith and they agree that they're going to go to a place of utter darkness away from anybody and anything that matters, unless they repent, they'll do it. But if you start off with, well, God's a nice guy and he kind of likes you too and you should follow him. You say that about Krishna. Repent. Surrender. Your consequences of your life will eventually. And this is, this is, you know, Paul talks about this. Second Corinthians, he talks about it in one of the other letters, Galatians, I think. The idea that, and this helps me. If it helps you, great. If it doesn't, forget it. Um, those times when we see people get away with evil things in this life. They'll get justice. Justice will come. And theism is the only, in fact, Christianity is the only one that really says that. Well, there will be perfect justice or perfect grace, depending on whether you want to follow or not. And three, the ultimate purpose of your life is not up to you. 
if God, if, it, if you get created by somebody, He's going to give you a purpose. Yahweh determines the reason for your existence. So now you want to know your purpose. It's really not hard, is it? Your purpose is to love God, follow Him, and honor Him. And part of that's going to be trying to get to know Him more. And that's why you're here today, right? You want to worship Him. And if you don't desire the things you know God wants you, you pray for the desire. Lord, I don't want to know you better as well as I should. Help me want to know you better. Because you know, I'm looking at you start knowing him better and all of a sudden, it's just like a waterfall of desire coming to know him better because it's the best thing you'll ever know. So that's your purpose. Your purpose is to honor God. Your purpose is to serve him. You were created to have a connection with him and his people. And that's the way it's going to be the rest of the life. And those people who say, well, I don't want to be in heaven because there's boring people there. If this is boring, you ain't reading it very close. This is not boring. If you look in the Bible, people who encountered God, one thing you do not see is boredom. Was Isaiah bored when he was in the throne room? Was Peter bored after the catch of fish? <laughs> yeah. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He understood what was going on. So, in conclusion, now that you know your purpose, you know, we're doing good. Wait till next week. The God who created everything decided not to leave irrefutable proof. He could write in the sky, I am God and you should believe in me. And a bunch of people would say, oh, that's just some skywriter that was drinking before he got up there. But he hasn't been silent by a long shot. He desires a relationship, a connection with us. And that's throughout the whole Bible. But he's not going to force it on us. Jesus says it well in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then the rest of the things. So back to you graduates, do this first. The rest of it will take care of itself. Whether your first semester is a 4 point or a 1.5, I'm hoping for the, the former, as long as you know God, we'll be fine. We may choose to seek Yahweh. And it's, you know, it's really up to us. He says he wants, to get, wants us to get to know him better. He gives us ways to do that. He wants us to know what his character's like, what his nature is, and God willing, that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for showing us so clearly that you exist, that, uh, that you give us purpose, uh, you give us a way to live in your morals, everything we need. Forgive us for not surrendering ourselves to you, not realizing that if you are God, we are not. May we look to your son and his word for the purpose in our daily lives. Amen.